This episode of the Upper Discussion Podcast is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Launched in Kelowna, BC, and now expanding to Montreal, Whiskey Lane is on a mission to share their obsession with quality food and drinks with growing audiences by keeping the best local flavors on their minds and on their tongues. No matter what your business needs to grow, Whiskey Lane knows how to make it happen. Whiskey Lane, bringing long lines to the producers of specialty food and drinks. Go to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And that's whiskey, the Canadian way, without an E. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to episode 298 of Up for Discussion, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Every week, we tackle a different ingredient, dish, or style of cuisine, sharing our favorite recipes and learning from our wonderful guests. Today, we're talking all about buffets. Technically not a food, but, you know, the, the buffet is such a staple of, like, styles of restaurants, and I thought it would be really interesting to do a whole episode about it. So we're going to do that today. Right, Toby? A monkey. A monkey, yeah. Yeah, okay, you can have a monkey while I read the rest of the intro. Before we dig into the show this week, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio... That's right, a monkey. The studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important to remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and to engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. Uh, so I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. Uh, obviously, American Thanksgiving is uh, just around the corner. And, uh, you know, I think I mentioned this last week. If you are someone who is going to be, you know, getting together with friends and family, on Thanksgiving this year and having a nice meal and, you know, celebrating it together and, and eating and, and, you know, generally giving thanks. That's not a bad thing. Obviously, it's, it's good to be thankful for what you've got. It's good to spend time with family and friends. But it's important to talk about the reality of what that holiday was kind of founded on, uh, which is, you know, colonialist and bad. I, I think there are ways to do Thanksgiving in a way that decolonizes it. Um, so I'd like to encourage you to think about that this year and think about how you and your loved ones can do that, you know, whether it's by making sure that that is part of the conversation at your Thanksgiving dinner table, or maybe it's by looking into like what your local indigenous tribes need and trying to provide it for them. You know, maybe it's food, maybe it's uh, financial aid maybe there's something you can help with on a like civil rights level y- either way um thanksgiving doesn't have to be you know something that you're ashamed to celebrate uh but it does need to be something that you think about and are thoughtful about and frankly i think you'll be more thankful for having been thoughtful anyway let's get into it so we've all been there 
Your ex-stepdad's parents want to take the whole family out to dinner, but you're middle class and can't afford to go to an expensive restaurant, and between the adults with actual dietary restrictions and the kids who only want to eat chicken tenders, you don't have a ton of options. So you all pile into three Volkswagen Golfs and drive half an hour to the nearest all-you-can-eat buffet. Is that is that too specific? Is that an example straight from, from my past? Maybe, but sometimes these intros need to be personal. Sue me. The point is, everyone's been to a buffet at some point in their life. The rows upon rows of warming trays, the sneeze guards, the uncomfortable dance of who's going to stay with everyone's bags while the rest of us get food first and then you can go when the first person comes back are you okay with that jerry jerry do you mind staying with the bags jerry okay jerry's going to stay with the bags kids you guys go first and the rest of us are going all right cool okay all right every okay it's exhausting but the all-you-can-eat buffet is a staple of casual dining sure they might not be the fanciest or have the best food or even have good food but there's something kind of beautiful about them and today we're going to try to get to the bottom of what that is this episode topic was requested by one of our listeners and supporters, Laura Lee Rhodes, who we're actually going to hear from later in the show. She's coming up in the second half. If you'd like to submit a topic for an episode of the show, you can head to patreon.com slash up for discussion and donate as little as a dollar, and we'll add your topic to the list. All right, let's get into it. Yeah, orange. Do you have some orange papers, Toby? Yeah, papers. All right. <laughs> Speaking of papers, my first guest today is Clay Sandu, the food editor for Cult MTL. Cult MTL is, of course, Montreal's top cultural paper and website, where you can read up about all the cool stuff worth checking out in our city. Clay, thanks so much for joining me. That's oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, just to kind of contextualize yourself a little bit for uh, the listeners, how did you get into food writing? I've been a person who's been interested in food for like a really long time. Um, for me, that sort of manifested as like in kind of like the early 2000s, I started getting into like Food Network TV and teaching myself how to cook. And then I moved to Montreal in 2009. And while I was going to school at Concordia, I got uh, I got a few jobs working different positions in restaurants. I started as a dishwasher, you know, worked as a cook, um, worked as a bartender, did a bunch of things. And I cooked and ended up cooking for uh, almost 10 years. And it was kind of like in that stage of me being a cook and like really enjoying food in Montreal, getting to know Montreal's restaurant scene, that uh, I started writing about it a little bit on the side. I wrote for like a little publication that Frank and Oak was doing for a while. And uh, and then I met a previous guest that you guys had on, J.P. Carvacki. And, uh, and he was the editor uh, at Cult at the time. And he picked me up and started publishing my work. That's cool. I didn't know about the uh, the JP connection. That's fun. Yeah, it's it's fun that you uh, you mentioned getting into this sort of stuff by watching a lot of Food Network because honestly, that's what got me to where I am now as well. We uh, we sort of around the time that we had our now two year old, uh, we like subscribed to like Bell Five TV for the first time just to sort of have like some kind of cable adjacent thing in our house and got Food Network as part of that and started just watching, you know, hours and hours of Food Network. And I realized like, oh, this is kind of what I want to be doing. I want to be doing some kind of food media. And it took me almost two years to get around to, you know, taking the plunge and deciding that that was what this show was going to be now. But uh, I don't think I'm ever going to look back. Food media is the best. And it really is. I don't know. It just scratches an itch that nothing really else can, in my opinion. <laughs> it's fun. It's uh I mean, you know, it's it's universal in a way. Like everybody likes to eat, right? And so like it it gives you this thing that gets you connected to people kind of right out the gate uh, while also still being, you know, there, there's enough to explore that it doesn't feel too surface level at the same time. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's a really, I mean, food in general is just kind of like this endless treasure trove and it's historical and it's political, it's cultural. I find it like there's a, kind of like a 
storytelling romance to it too like all the pageantry that goes along with restaurants and stuff too it's i don't know i think it's really cool yeah i uh i i think we can use that as a a little transition into our like main topic for today's episode which um back in 2018 our network had a big fundraiser to raise money to build a sound booth the very sound booth that i'm sitting in as we speak and uh one of the perks that was available for that was that people were able to request um, a cooking instructional video from me uh at the time i was making video content i'm not anymore so when i made the decision to switch the show over to a food show i contacted all the people who you know had pending video requests and said, hey, do you want to request a podcast episode instead? And uh, so one of our supporters, Laura, uh, who actually is also on this episode, uh, asked to talk about buffets. So I thought, you know, when I pitched you a list of potential upcoming episodes, buffets was one of the ones that I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to like do for this one. I don't know anyone who like works at a buffet. I don't know anyone who's passionate about them. But I included it in the list and you got back to me pretty quickly and you sounded excited about talking about buffets. So why what's your what's your connection there buffets well i mean look I, I i should say like straight away that i don't have any particular inside info on buffets or know <laughs> particularly like a lot about them but i got a couple of years back i got really interested in kind of like the 30s through the 60s era of of food especially like kind of north american food mm-hmm. and buffets was just this thing that kept coming up and it was like oh you know i haven't been to a buffet in a long time and kind of going through montreal's restaurant world and getting progressively snobbier as i got (laughs) to where i'm at now you know buffets was kind of this thing that that nobody really talks about like cooks and kitchens love to talk about kind of like the trashy food that they're into like all of us will talk about like you know we'll talk about eating cheese whiz sandwiches as kids and liking it or whatever you know like cooking fighter dogs on the campfire or, or whatever um but buffets is never really a thing that i encountered with anyone and it was interesting for me like to think about buffets because like they're kind of inherently bad but i don't really <laughs> understand why that is people hate or love buffets right they love it because it's a deal or they hate it because the food is crap but it's this interesting thing so um the reason why i got really excited was because um i had read this article are you familiar with the with the magazine publication uh monocle i'm not so monocle is this really like it's like a super swanky publication out of the uk and they write about everything from like finance to traveling in different countries to geopolitical stuff and then they also have a big section on like shopping and food and hotels and all that and one of their big things was uh in in their like kind of second issue of their their food publication was a return to buffets and they started looking at these like very posh hotels uh, all over the world um, specifically they looked at one in Lisbon one in Hong Kong and, and uh, one in San Francisco and they're just these like rooms full of like everything that you would want to eat really like they're they're exquisite menus but it's the buffet format and you're like this is like an incredible kind of subversion of what I think of when I think about a buffet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like I um, so growing up, I went to sort of all you can eat buffets a lot. Right. And and I definitely got that sort of picture in my mind of like probably what people think of as the default for a buffet, which is, you know, it's it's kind of like 
medium to low light everything is sort of laid out together you get a nice variety of like salad fixings and Chinese food and like you know pasta and it's just kind of like there and it doesn't seem super well attended or or cared about Um, but I actually like I have a real soft spot for all of that like I I think partly because we grew up without a ton of money and that was what we did when we had you know a family occasion is we'd go to like scores and get the unlimited soup and salad bar right uh but the the one that kind of stands out most in my mind and I've think that I've had this at a couple of places but I can only remember one restaurant name and that's Latage uh which is an Indian restaurant downtown here in Montreal that has a like lunch buffet style menu where it's like you know one price gets you in and then it's all buffet style but it's like actually really high quality tasty food and I honestly don't understand why more places don't do it like even if it's just for one meal of the day and then have something fancier in the evening it seems like a really fun and kind of communal way to eat and like I don't know I think that there is something something beautiful about bringing community into a restaurant not during a pandemic obviously but you know the the rest of the time yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Buffet is not a uh, COVID friendly <laughs> style of eating. But uh, you're, you're right, you know, like, I think it's, I have like, I mean, I grew up in Ottawa. And one of like, my most sort of warm, nostalgic feelings about a restaurant that I have is, I don't know if it exists anymore, or if it changed names, but there used to be a buffet called Yangtze. And you know, that's where I learned to use chopsticks. And I feel kind of like chasing the dragon on this one <laughs> dish that, I mean, it, it's, it's a coconut jelly. They serve it at like every dim sum place. Um, but I've never had one that was as good as that. And I love it. And I think about it all the time. And every time I go and eat it at dim sum, I'm like, Oh, I hope, I hope that this time it's going to be that one. And it never is. You, you want to know something wild? I have been to that restaurant. Um, oh yeah. I went there for, <laughs> God, I don't even know. It I have friends who live in Ottawa and it was either like one of their birthdays or maybe it was their engagement party or something. This was years ago. But as soon as you said that, I was like, I wonder if it's the same place. And I looked up pictures on Google Maps and it is definitely the exact same place. That's too funny. And it's still open, looks like. Cool. I love that spot. And I mean, I I used to play soccer when I was a kid and we would always play this one uh soccer tournament around Kingston. Okay. And Kingston, like just off the highway, used to have a pizza hut with a like a lunch buffet. And I used to think that was like the coolest thing in the world. Like an ice cream bar, a salad bar, and a pizza bar. I mean, it's it rocks. What else can you ask for? <laughs> Literally nothing. No, nothing. I mean, it's perfect. Now, I don't know. I don't know if I would love it or not. I like to think of myself as kind of like an equal opportunity eater in terms of like, I like lots of stuff that people would consider to be fancy but I also like junk food a lot I like kind of lowest common denominator stuff if it's good you know that's all I really care about no that's it like I I think that you know one of my kind of goals in putting this show out is to celebrate food right celebrating all food even the stuff that like is kind of lower status like a buffet and I I do think that like you know obviously there are good ones and bad ones, right? Like you are going to get places where the food is like also mediocre, but I, I don't think that that has to be the rule. Right. And I don't think that, I I think that even the ones where the food's not very good have some kind of value to them. And I think that that value for me is really just in like 
what they can be for a community you know it's like what you were saying with like going to you know the all you can eat pizza hut after a soccer game is like that's not necessarily like the best food in the world but you get that sort of community sense from it right you get that like this is my team going out together we're gonna eat something it's not gonna be great but we're gonna remember it for the rest of our lives Mm. it's a good point the other thing too is i mean the buffet concept, this is like, you know, when we started talking about uh, doing this, I, I was, you know, thinking about what was interesting to me. And and the big thing for me was that, you know, like we have an idea about both you and I, if you or, or anyone really, if you ask them, you know, imagine a buffet in your mind, you're, you're going to imagine kind of like that crummy spot. And it's not that great, but it's cheap and it, you know, it, it fills the hunger pangs and you know, you can go there with a two-year-old and your 89-year-old grandma and your whole family and everyone's going to get what they want. But I think that it's it's an interesting thing that we kind of think about them as being crummy because it's really just, it's just a format. Like the buffet doesn't speak to anything about how the food is going to be. You just sort of have an idea of like, okay, well, what, what the layout of the restaurant is going to be and how you're going to get food on your plate. So it should really there should be able to be like a wide range of of buffets and you know people lately have been going back to all types of different types of restaurant concepts from antiquity like uh, recently i was talking to someone about a, a ganguette which is like a late 1800s parisian semi-outdoor wine bar that used to be in the parts of paris and they did it because uh, alcohol was too highly taxed in paris so they were getting cheap crappy wine outside and that's where people would go and drink and you're like oh well i'm gonna do a ganguette that's a concept you haven't seen it's like 150 years old but great you know <laughs> no one's really well actually i that's not 100 percent true no one really has redone the buffet i don't know if you remember this there was a restaurant called june rose that was open uh maybe five years ago uh no i'm not familiar have you uh have you ever heard of a restaurant called big in japan yeah yeah so big in Japan, they decide to go off and do like a, a I don't know, a spin-off of what they were doing in um, what used to be like a Caribbean restaurant right behind where their spot is on San Laurent Pine. Right. And they decided that they were going to do like an Dale Chinese buffet. Now it was, was going to be like an all-you-can-eat like fixed price. It wasn't exactly a buffet because you didn't go and put the food on your plate yourself, but you had a menu and you could just order as much stuff as you wanted and you just paid one price right which was like i thought really cool kind of like a revolutionary concept someone's going to do the chinese buffet but do it with like real chinese food yeah i mean that's that's kind of a staple of uh that that's how a lot of sushi restaurants that i've been to operate right like you you get the menu delivered to the table you got the check boxes you can tell them you know bring me three california rolls for boston whatever and like then they just bring it to you fresh like that. There used to be a place in NDG called the, oh my goodness, uh, I think it was the like Asian Garden, but it was spelled A-S-E-A-N, which stood for like Associated Southeastern Asian Nations, I think. I'm going to be proud of myself yeah. if I Google that and I'm right. Um, and that place was fantastic. They had like 200 menu items, only half of it was sushi, and the rest was like a bunch of different, like, you know, there was Chinese food, there was like pad thai and stuff. It was awesome. It was high quality. I used to go there all the time, and now I think it's a nail salon and sometimes a like, it's like where the political parties will like have their campaign headquarters during election seasons. 
it's a bummer. A different, like, you know, it did start off with an international flair, though. To be fair, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. I um thinking about like buffets during COVID because I feel like. I got tired of talking about COVID all the time with the old format of this show, but I feel like when we're talking about restaurants and especially buffets, we, we would be kind of like remiss if we didn't kind of touch on like what that means for the buffet industry. Right. Cause I'm sure it can't be good. Um, but I read something in uh, the, like on the city, the city news website the other day from Toronto about the Mandarin buffet in Toronto um, where I don't know if you saw this, but basically they, um, <laughs> the Ontario government isn't letting buffets operate, obviously. And the Mandarin, in order to be able to operate again, switched format to like a restaurant. So now you can get like small plates of all the stuff that's on their menu for like a couple bucks a piece, uh, which I think is really innovative. And then to like replace the um, buffet counters, since they just had like all this space that was being taken up, they put planters with like mini gardens in them so you walk in now and instead of you know seeing a bunch of tables and then seeing the long buffet trays where you can go and grab you know your wide variety of foods you just see these like beautiful flower arrangements and like then you just order at the table and i think that's so smart and i hope that other people pick that up I, my wife as soon as i told her that i was doing a, a podcast episode on buffet she was like oh you have to talk about the mandarin <laughs> and so she sent me that article Amazing. and i was like so it's i mean the buffet setup with the flowers on it is like both beautiful and hilarious yeah. and I'm just like this is so it's such a sweet idea um, and it really got me thinking uh, again on like called the buffet as like format it's like oh so it's just dim sum <laughs> essentially right like yeah. it, it's not it's dim sum without carts but you know there's only really a handful of spots in town where you can get cart service anyway for dim sum it's like oh well that's I mean, that's sort of a buffet, too, in yeah. a way. And I don't think anyone would really call dim sum a buffet, but, and I, you know, I don't want to get into, like, is pizza a sandwich or whatever, but <laughs> like, um, it it is an interesting way to think about it. Um, and I, I started looking into the history of buffets a little bit because I was sort of like, is this was this a Las Vegas thing? Right. And sort of yes is the answer, but more accurately is that it's kind of like a derivative of the Swedish smorgasbord. Interesting. Which I thought was really cool. And one of the, like, you know, the in the article that I read, it was like, oh, well, you know, at a traditional Swedish smorgasbord, you can always pick out who's not a Swede because they load their plate up with everything, which, like, <laughs> to me is, like, the that's the best part of the buffet is just, like, having these, like, overflowing plates that have, like weird pastries and jello and like noodles and like a meatloaf on it at the same time you're like what this just makes no sense yeah they actually have structure there's like there is actually like okay well on this part of the plate there's the like cold cured fish and then you have the like kind of butter and bread dishes and then there will be some hot dishes and you kind of work your way grazing through but it's meant to be sort of like a lunch kind of cocktail party-esque kind of vibe hmm. kind of stand around and you get your little plates of things and you you drink vodka or aquavit or whatever and you eat pickled herring and then you move on to bread and butter and cheese and what have you and i'm like oh that's kind of cool that is back to that kind of community enjoying a meal together in sort of like a less formal setting which is kind of fun 
Yeah, I like that. It it adds kind of a social element to it. Because I think that's the thing that I always had trouble with with buffets was like, you know, there's always that moment where, you know, when you first arrive with your group, someone has to stay at the table and watch all the bags while everyone else goes and loads up their plates. And then when someone gets back, you can get up and leave. And like, people kind of get up and go in waves. And so there's like, constant breaks in conversation as people leave for 20 minutes to go load their plate up with more stuff. And I feel like... I kind of like the idea. I don't know if this is specifically what like what the Swedish model is, but in my mind, there are no tables. Like when you were telling me about that, I was picturing like standing room only. You're just floating around the room, grabbing food when you want to. And uh, that's kind of fun to me, that sort of cocktail party vibe. I think that's almost exactly what well, there there might be like, I think there's like like cocktail tables, you know, like the high ones that are small with no chairs. So you oh, might sure. down. But yeah, I think that that's basically exactly right. Well, I love that. Bread. But that's so, I mean, I'm, I'm really big into the whole like concept of the feast. Mm-hmm. I think feasts, like if you're into food and eating, the feast doesn't speak to you, then I don't know what more to say. <laughs> like, the feast is the best, right? Like having all this bountiful, beautiful food in front of you and like everything's nicely prepared. Like the that's the promise of the buffet in some ways is like endless choice of like all all things you could possibly want to eat and so like having a little bit of structure to that i think is like a little bit nice because definitely there's there's the whole like paradox of choice right when you're standing in front of a buffet and you've got a you know a 12 inch plate and you're just like everything in sight you just put on it a little bit of curation probably goes a long way but having that like that sensation like i'm for, i'm sure that 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 kind of love for that feast kind of style of eating for me comes from being a kid and going to buffets and just kind of have that all out there it's it's like the best the best thing for me that i can think about about buffets is is that it's like celebratory in yeah some way. totally well it it kind of what it does to me is it makes accessible the well it makes the feast accessible right and it makes the like huge spread that you get at like a family holiday dinner into something that you can do on like a thursday afternoon because it's like 15 bucks a person instead of you know 30 40 dollars you know to make a huge massive meal it ends up kind of it, it just increases the accessibility of a big like celebratory thing in a way that is uh i think really cool and valuable so you, have you ever been to this? There's an Indian restaurant downtown. It's called Tali. Yeah. It's not a buffet. Okay. So Tali is really cool because, I mean, it's, I don't, I, I'm going to try to be delicate about the way I put this because I love that restaurant, but it's sort of like a cafeteria style, yeah. which is almost a buffet in some ways, but the food is like incredibly good. And so sometimes I'm wondering like, why doesn't that model sort of like lend itself to foods to other types of food mm-hmm. you know what i mean like you don't really see a whole lot of like you you could have you know french or italian food that's good that's done that way you know what i mean it's just a matter of making sure that you work your steam tables properly and you rotate the food out consistently and or maybe don't put a million things out there all at once but it's like it's almost politicized in a way where a certain echelon of food kind of gets to be part of 
um, what's considered fine dining and another echelon of food is like, oh, well, you know, it can take on whatever form. It could be, it could be crappy buffet food, right? Right. And so you get like, that's why I, it's, it's funny though when you see like in a Chinese buffet, that's sort of like amalgam of that where it's like, yeah, you've got sweet and sour chicken balls and then also you have like, you know, sliders and french fries <laughs> and jello and you're like, okay, well, at least it's like kind of pan global lowest common denominator like it's not the real version of any of these things it's just like like a sweet and salty paradise yeah yeah i mean i think like at the end of the day like i love the sweet and salty paradise you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what it comes down to it's like you know there it, it's true that some foods tend to sort of be seen as lower class than others but like that's dumb we should just love everything we should just eat everything without any like apologies yeah, I mean, you know what? Like, um, the idealistic version of me is definitely on the same page as you. I wish for like a world in which everybody who makes food cares about the food that they make. Sure, yeah. And I think to me, that's that's the big difference. Like, I do think that there's food that's good and that there's food that's bad. I don't think that any level or like, I think I've had dinners that I thought were bad that were very expensive and I've had dinners that were cheap that I thought were very good and I think a lot of it has to do with not necessarily you know how talented maybe talent is not the right way to say it but how I don't know nuanced you are as a cook it's really just about how much do you care about the thing that you're doing and if if that thing that you're doing is like you're making sliders for the buffet will like do a good job at it and it's going to be a good buffet right yeah that's it like you can you can almost taste when someone gives a shit about what they're doing no matter no matter their like technical skills no matter the price tag you can tell when someone's phoning it in david chang uh famously said that mcdonald's are better in japan just because the people that work there care more literally everything is the same it all comes from the same central manufacturing thing like a big mac in tokyo should taste the same as a big mac in sao paulo like it doesn't really matter but the food tastes better it's a little bit like better presented like everyone just cares just that little bit more but it's crazy how much that that makes a difference and i mean that you know being in restaurants uh, working in restaurants is is you know that's a thing that everybody knows is that you know having commitment to what you do is more valuable than being technically proficient like you can learn how to be how to get better at the technical stuff you can learn more recipes you can learn more techniques but if you don't give a shit it doesn't matter it's going to be bad right you care <laughs> there's, and so there's very I, few things you can do to make it easier for you to give a shit yeah 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 i had a uh, um you know my one of my first restaurant jobs uh, cooking jobs that i ever got you know, I was there and I, this was peak me like idolizing chefs and like chef culture in general. So I was and I'd never gone to culinary school or anything. So I was like, oh, please give me a chance to work <laughs> for minimum wage, 14 hours a day in, in this kitchen. Please take a chance on me. Uh, I said to him, uh, the chef at the time, I was like, I, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of experience. I haven't really cooked all that much in restaurants. I cook a lot at home. And, and he was like, oh, well, you know, uh, are you an asshole? And I was like, I I don't know. I don't think so. (laughs) I I have friends. People seem to like me. And he was like, great, because I can teach you how to cook, but I can't teach you how to not be an asshole. 
I think that's like an, an, a really like important thing for me and my rest of my life is care about stuff, do a good job. You can learn everything else. I like that. I think that's uh, I think that's a really, really good note to to wrap on. Also, <laughs> well, thank you, Clay. This was uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Uh, I would you know I would tell everyone to go out and go to a buffet, but I guess that's not possible. But there are a few dim sum places that are open, so maybe go check those out. Yeah, I would say like maybe look into like whether or not your favorite buffet has switched to takeout for the time being. You know, maybe they have. It's possible. Could be. It's it's worth doing a quick Google search. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug or any like final words of wisdom before I let you go? Well, I would just encourage everyone to continue checking Cult Montreal out. Um, not just for the food, although like I try to keep stuff up to date as much as possible and talk about new things that are going on and and kind of how COVID's affecting the restaurant industry. But Lorraine and the rest of the team that are there, they all do a fantastic job, and I'm really proud to work for them. So pick up a copy of cult it's free if you can't find it it's available online and uh i you know check out my website if you if anyone out there is looking to talk about food or wants to work with me um claysandu.com you can find me there sweet i'll include links to both uh your website and called mtl in the description of this episode cool awesome yeah you too thank you this was really fun it was nice to meet you nice to meet you too and good luck with the rest of the podcast thanks so much have a good night you too. Thanks Bye. again. Hi, Toby. How are you doing? Yellow. Yellow? You're doing yellow? Okay, cool. Well, if you're enjoying the show so far, I'd like to invite you to consider supporting us over at patreon.com slash up for discussion. I'm talking to you, the listener, not to Toby, my two-year-old who's in the studio with me, because he doesn't have any money. Do you have money? No. No. Orange. You have an orange? Okay, cool. Anyway, this show is a passion project for me, and I'd probably be making it even if we had no funding, but the reality is it helps me a lot to have money coming in from this, because it frees up my time and brain space to focus more on reaching out to awesome guests and doing the pre- and post-production to make sure the show is as great as possible. So if you like this and have even a dollar a month you'd be willing to throw my way, head over to Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash upfordiscussion. There's a link in the description of the episode as well for ease of access. Now, about two weeks ago, Clay released a really interesting article over on CultMDL, which I've linked to in the description of this episode as well, talking about the issue of cultural appropriation in the Montreal restaurant scene and beyond. Basically, he asked the question, when and how can a chef make food from outside their own culture and lived experiences? And he comes at it from what I thought was a really thoughtful angle. Um, I I would highly recommend giving it a read. Um, (laughs) If you're a slow reader like me, it might take you like 10 minutes, but everyone else should be able to get through it in five. It's a miracle that I can do these copy reads on a weekly basis and read them straight off a page with little to no error, because honestly, I am not a very good reader, but there's something about reading right off a page out loud that makes it way easier for me. (laughs) Anyway, that is a conversation for another day. Check out Clay's article. It's very good. My next guest, Laura Lee Rhodes, grew up in Indiana. Go Pacers. And when I asked what she'd like to talk about on the show, she said she'd love to talk about buffets because she's got a fond nostalgia for mid-century buffets. So, Laura, thanks so much for joining us this week on Up for Discussion. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's kind of get a, just to kind of contextualize you for the listeners and for the conversation. Um, obviously, I mentioned you grew up in Indiana, but can you talk a little bit more about sort of why buffets are personally meaningful to you? Oh my gosh, they were the high point of our lives when we were kids. Like honestly, you know, we lived in the country. Yeah, I had a big family. There are seven kids in my family, um, and I don't think I went to a restaurant 
until I was in my teens. Right. When we got to have larger family get-togethers where people would bring in food from their households, it was amazing. It was it was a, a chance to eat some cooking that that was you know not my mom's cooking. It was a chance to try things that we never got to try. Uh, and there was always so much of it. We could just, uh, it was just the best. Yeah. Well, I can imagine with, you said there were seven of you guys? Yep. That's wild. It, yeah. It, I guess at that point it is like, it it's like a week's pay to take everybody out to dinner once, right? So. Yeah. That would not happen. <laughs> yeah. That would not happen. So, you know, we just got the, my mom's rotation and I mean, she made valiant efforts, but there's only so much you can do on a budget. Right. Uh, with that many people to feed, so it was always a real treat to have, you know, to have our aunts and uncles and grandparents cooking. I love that. So for you, uh, for you, a buffet is beyond just the sort of like go out to a place where there's sneeze guards and serve yourself whatever you want from a plate. It's it's more of a family gathering kind of situation. Oh, right. Those kinds of buffets are nasty. It's just <laughs> all you can eat. It's like some ridiculous challenge, right? Sure. Why, why would you want to do that? <laughs> no, our buffets, um, we call them carry-ins. Carry-ins, or, okay. Or pitch-ins, you know. Um, it's just the vernacular that we used. Um, you know, and the uh, carry-out, for instance, was packaged liquor you would carry it out <laughs> rather than drink it in place okay so a, a carry in was food that you would cook someplace else and carry in to eat i love that it's like a it's a regional variant on a potluck i guess right and see i can't stand the term potluck okay uh, because it makes it sound like you're cleaning out your refrigerator <laughs> you know and there's sort of an element of chance right. about it well these carry in dinners that we had were absolutely calculated. There was no element of chance. You do not <laughs> mess around with us. Was there like a, a strict order of who brings what every single time? Okay. There were rules, but they were <laughs> they were unspoken. Mm. But everyone had their specialty, and you would not dare carry in somebody else's specialty. Okay. Yeah. I like that. You know, for instance, my, my Aunt Carla made macaroni and cheese. Right. And she was known for her macaroni and cheese. There was just no reason to ever consider making macaroni <laughs> and cheese. But what happens um, if Aunt Carla doesn't want to bring mac and cheese one time? That is not even an option. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it goes both ways then. If you if if Aunt Carla's specialty is mac and cheese, you're not allowed to make mac and cheese and she's not allowed to make anything but mac and cheese. Well, but she not only made mac and cheese, she made tons of other things that she would bring on on different occasions okay. um, but sure like people were known for their specialties my sister Amy now makes corn casserole okay. and she'll she'll walk into an event and the nieces and nephews will run up to her and say Aunt Amy did you bring your corn casserole <laughs> uh, you know and she brings it in the same dish amazing it's a white corning ware with sort of yellow orange flowers on the side and that's what Aunt Amy brings <laughs> Right, so it's so yeah. I mean, you have people like you can't you can't disappoint. And if you'd ever had Amy's corn casserole or Aunt Carla's mac and cheese, you would completely understand. Oh, I mean, honestly, like just the phrase corn casserole, I'm already on board. I don't know what oh. it is, but I'm already on board with it. And see, I would give you the recipe, but when I talked to my sister about this you know about this podcast she said well you can't just go around giving people's recipes willy-nilly on the radio no of course not yeah, yeah. so i, I mean, wouldn't i wouldn't dare 
I mean, and but she did once get in trouble for scraping the marshmallows off the sweet potato casserole. So <laughs> you know, but okay, I'll, I'll I'm going to listen to her on this one. I'm yeah. not going to give her recipe, but you can look it up online. <laughs> there are you know an Indiana corn casserole. There are many different variations. Right. Some of them use Jiffy corn muffin mix. Some of them would not ever go there, but I think all of them have sour cream. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, do a little research later. Because honestly, oh, yeah. like, I love a casserole and I love corn. So I'm mm. like, that this can't go wrong. Really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very rich, though, so save it for special occasions. Right. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. It's interesting. Uh, in the first half of the show, we focused primarily on um, the, like, all-you-can-eat style buffet, right? The The sort of you know everybody comes in and sits down and you pay the same price and then you can get up and go get your food and you know there's sort of a a strategy to it where you you know some people will load up their plate with everything that they know they'll want and they get a massive mountain of food and bring it back other people kind of go in waves what's the sort of culture around um (laughs) i guess plate strategy uh at a uh, indiana carrion well, first of all, I don't think our family ever had a sit-down dinner in our lives because there is no table <laughs> big enough. Sure. Right? Like, there's no table big enough for a sit-down. So, I mean, the strategy is, first of all, if you know Aunt Mary Jane is bringing chicken and noodles, you get there early. Mm. Okay? you you got to be early so you get some. And we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> um, and once you're there, when the better cooks come in, you kind of hurry over to see what they have brought. Okay. You know, um, so you're. I mean, so the first order of business is just scoping out the table, seeing who brought what, and and then you figure out how you're going to approach. Right. A huge crowd. I mean, we had we had. Oh my God! I can't even count the number of cousins. There are so many, so many people. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that strategy, you, you know, just scope it out first, right. and then you get your you get your plate, right? So uh, there were always paper plates, and uh, there were many sort of incarnations of the paper plate. Uh, you, there were the thin paper plates that you used to use in art class, right, when you were in elementary school. Remember okay. those? Yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. So you would check to see if someone had brought plate holders because you wanted to be able to load the plate. And the, the plate holders were these little wicker baskets that a, a paper plate would fit in. It was very fancy if you had those. Uh, but they didn't last long because you can't really get ketchup out of wicker. So, <laughs> I know, right? So right. We, right. No, there's always ketchup. So we evolved to the plastic baskets. So they were a really nice primary color. So you'd scope that out. And, and if those weren't available, you would just get a stack of paper plates so that it wouldn't bend. Right. Right, so you'd have like a, a base. And this was before the fancy, fa- expensive chinette plates. So that's for, for fancy people, so forget about that. So yeah, there, there are strategies, but I mean, I think the best strategy was just getting there on time. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, first come, first serve, right? Like you don't want to show up late to the party because then you don't get any of the food. That's true. But you can't start eating until the ants call start, right? You don't just go in after two dishes have been put out. You wait until someone says okay mm. and then you go can you line up at the table before all the dishes are out can well, you, you kind of like hover so that you're one of the first people oh yeah everyone's milling right <laughs> you mill right and right. Ba- like back in the old days it was different now it's it's a you know the you know i'm one of the grown-ups and and things have changed a little bit um 
the kids are saucier. You know, they'll stick their fingers into stuff. You have to smack them away. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but we respected the rules. Yeah. So don't you just want to go to one of these? I do, I, honestly. I it's, I mean, I, like, I'm trying, I'm trying as much as possible to not constantly come back to the fact that we're in a pandemic on the I show. Know. But I feel like with today's episode, it's inevitable because like this is so much about shared food experiences and right. those are really hard to have right now and like i definitely am am hardcore craving the day when when i can go to like a big backyard barbecue and you know everybody will bring something and we can kind of dig in all together oh, and, I, and can't. The, I can't wait describing hearing you describe holding your plate in a wicker basket i'm like oh man i'm there let's do it yeah let's get some wicker baskets let's get some flimsy plates i want i want mac and cheese and corn casserole and chicken and, and corn noodles casserole. <laughs> oh you want the chicken and noodles yeah i don't even want to talk about how homesick i am and like and, and think about this i just i would give anything to just go hang out with my family right um but the border's closed right uh Unless I fly, but who wants to get on an airplane with people who are breathing, right? Right, exactly. Um, (laughs) I don't even want to enter a building with people who are breathing. I know, these people are breathing in planes. No, forget it. (laughs) That's Uh, my air. I mean, I don't know. So I just, you know, I guess I'll be watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on live feed and and, uh, missing Christmas this year, which is devastating. It's hard, Um, eh? Super hard. But, you know, I just... This, you know, putting this together and, and just looking at all of these things that we used to eat and all these recipes has, has is kind of it's making me feel all warm inside. So that's that's good. I mean, and I mean, Aunt Mary Jane's chicken and noodles. Um, we've got to talk about these. Yeah. So is it is it fried chicken? Is it like baked chicken? No. What are we talking about here? A quick version of the recipe, and this is the mo- the recipe my mom did because she just never had time. Is like you cook a chicken. You take the chicken off the bones, you save the juice, you make homemade noodles, homemade egg noodles, and you plop them in and you cook them. Okay. Okay. But there's so much more to it. Like, because, you know, if you don't take time with the noodles, they're really thick and chewy mm-hmm. and dry inside. Well, my Aunt Mary Jane, when, when she first got married, she, she's actually my great aunt, mm-hmm. right? She is my grandmother's, was, she's left us, she's, she was my grandmother's sister. When she first got married, uh, I think the only thing she knew how to cook was creamed tuna on toast. All right. Uh, and and she taught herself uh, to be quite a cook. But Aunt Aunt Mary Jane would make chicken and noodles, and people would that was the first thing gone. <laughs> right. She would take her time. She made them for the St. Lawrence Church Fall Festival every year. And this is you know the Harvest Festival. She would start in the summer rolling the noodles so thin by hand and she would freeze them right and she used this fantastic Tupperware mat that all the ladies used back in the day I guess if your table had a compromised surface or you, you, mm. you know you didn't have a lot of structural integrity in your countertops you would use this beautiful Tupperware mat right. which you could also roll out yeah you could roll out pie crust on it because oh. it had uh, yeah, it had concentric circles with the the number of you know inches marked. So if you had an eight inch pie plate, you could roll out an eight inch pie plate crust. It That's was amazing. slightly larger, right? So it was just fantastic. And then she would she would cook the chicken with uh, you know onions and celery until it fell off the bones. And she and she shredded the chicken so small, and you know and she would cook those noodles, those thin thin noodles, just so perfectly. 
uh, and it would she would fill a roaster oven with this to take <laughs> over to the church. Now, do you know what a roaster oven is? It's the uh, it's the big like black pans with the huge lid, right? Right. And I mean, they it's it's the first incarnation of a crock pot. It's yeah. massive. You, you can you can roast an uh, an eighteen pound turkey in it. Right. Yeah, I think that's there's a that's kind of what I what I always envision those being used for. Yeah, you can roast a turkey in it, but because it's made of enameled metal and there was a thermostat on the switch, you could also people would use them to serve wet food in. Hmm. So she would bring a roaster oven filled with these noodles and they would and people would just anticipate this for weeks, right? It was just absolutely fabulous, and so, they were so delicious. Amazing. And and my moms were good too, but they were different. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, it's always going to be like, you know, someone's best approximation of the thing, right? So that was great, and we all miss Aunt Mary Jane, and uh, it just makes me want to s- start rolling my own noodles. Hmm. She also played the taught herself to play the Hammond organ. She taught herself to cook and to play the Hammond organ. Wow. Yeah, and she used to play the curse of an aching heart. Not not during the uh, the big backyard food parties, though. No, no. <laughs> Wheel the organ out into the backyard. and uh, She had it. I remember, I've only heard her play it once. It was in her little house where she had the, the roaster oven. Yeah. And there were lots of great dishes that people brought that you would just make huge batches of. Right. You know, big batch cooking was the thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I I think there's something really, really beautiful about the, like, shared eating experience like that. We used to, you know, (laughs) when the world was open, we'd occasionally have, like, dinner parties or, you know, brunches, and we'd ask people to bring things. And there's really nothing quite like gathering around a table or, you know, a backyard, depending on the time of year, with a bunch of people that you love and getting to just share things that everybody has put time and effort into, that feels like the way that we're supposed to eat, you know? You're absolutely right. What's, okay, what's the, what's your favorite thing that someone cooks for a group in your family? Oh, man. Uh, Oh, that's so hard. I might need, Uh, I may need to sit on this question for a minute. Can I bounce it at you and get your answer while I think about it? Oh, okay. (laughs) I have a list of like 10 things, but I think, I don't know. Have you ever had sloppy joes? Yes. My grandpa here made sloppy joes, and his recipe died with him. He would not tell anybody what it was. Uh, and then after after grandpa died, Aunt Carla made sloppy joes. Her sloppy joes are delicious. But Amy, well, my sister, will not tell me that recipe <laughs> completely because she's afraid I'm going to share it willy-nilly on the radio. Right. So I can't share that. But... And Amy is a fantastic cook, and she makes all kinds of stuff. She makes, like, you know, she can cook, you know, glazed salmon and all kinds of, like, fancy things. But she also can cook a a real good batch of sloppy joes. Hmm. And that's the thing that she always takes over to somebody's house after someone dies because it's it's great for a group, you know, Hmm. people coming in for a funeral. But our sloppy joe, I I did an approximation of my grandfather's sloppy joe recipe. Would you like to hear it? Sure. (laughs) Okay, this is like an amalgam of all the recipes I know uh, with touches that he put in. So um, you start with five pounds of ground beef. I like this. And and five (laughs) teaspoons of salt. And you brown it, you brown it all together in a pan and drain off the grease. Then you add five chopped onions and you stir that around a little bit and cook it. Then you add five cups of ketchup, mm-hmm. one cup of quick oats, five teaspoons of chili powder, and this is Grandpa's touch, a cup of black coffee. Ooh, okay. This 
I know this is my best guess, right? Because you're supposed to put in water, but he used to put coffee in his chili, so I think he mm. secretly put coffee in his sloppy joe. I like that. Uh, a tablespoon of brown sugar, and then sliced canned mushrooms. Okay. Have you ever used canned mushrooms in anything? Off the top of my head, I don't know if I have. I use right. I use cream of mushroom soup famously in See, my now, mac and cheese. In your mac and cheese? Yeah. Ooh, we have to talk, right? Because yeah. that scalloped potatoes in Indiana is just layered potatoes with cream of mushroom soup poured on top. Put I'm in into the oven. it. That sounds great. Uh, so, yeah, that's potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> but this, but yeah. this sloppy Joe recipe sounds really nice. And then you just cook that. It, it does, doesn't it? And then you cook it in a crock pot mm-hmm. for a really long time. And it's impossible to overcook mushrooms because right. of a heat-resistant polymer called chitin, which we don't really need to talk about, which is found in the cell walls of fungi. You just got to know that canned mushrooms are actually really good. Right. And and you can go ahead and put them in and cook them, you know, for an hour or longer, and they'll be fine. Um, so when you're serving sloppy joes, you serve, that, serve it in a crock pot, nice and hot, with soft white buns, and you serve sweet pickle relish and yellow mustard on the side. You're killing and me. I, this sounds incredible. Yeah, I know. So good. I eat mine with a knife and fork. Sure. Which is a little bit fussy and <laughs> does doesn't always go over well. But I like my sloppy joes really sloppy. You know, I <laughs> I get it. I, uh, I as a kid, I had a lot of trouble as a kid. Honestly, until like maybe <laughs> this is gross. But until I had a baby, I uh, I always had a lot of trouble with eating any food that was messy at all. So I would probably have also used a knife and fork eating a sloppy joe uh there's something about having a baby that starts to slowly desensitize you to that i don't know what it could possibly be Uh, but i I have an easier time with it now well you know that scene in mr mom have you seen mr mom i don't remember off the top of my head so i'm gonna say okay it's it's a it's got terry gar and michael keaton and michael keaton loses his job so terry gar goes out and gets a job and michael keaton's stuck at home looking after the kids okay there's this great scene where he discovers what a parent sometimes has to do just to get something to eat. He's got the kids all ready for school and they're getting up from their breakfast and he hasn't had anything to eat and he's rushing to get out to the carpool. Um, So he just leans over one of the kids' plates, takes the remainder of a piece of French toast with syrup in his bare hands and shoves it into his mouth. Yep. And I thought, yep, that's what being a parent is. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> upsettingly accurate. Yeah. The amount of half-eaten hot dogs I've just, you know, mainlined in my lifetime uh, has probably, I was going to say doubled or tripled, but actually I think it went from zero to like 100 in the past two years. That's awful. Have you yeah. ever taken a cold hot dog, dipped it into an open jar of mustard, and then just eaten it? Uh, I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. You will. <laughs> I'm sure there. I will. I'm sure I will. <laughs> get there <laughs> oh my goodness okay I, so i thought a little bit more about your question about what like communal dish a person in my family makes and brings to things that i can't get enough of and i think it's it's a tricky question for me because my family growing up this was just not a thing that we did really um uh-huh. i was an only child i lived with a single mom we didn't live in the same city as my grandparents. I had no cousins. Aww. So, like, I had a stepdad whose family were, like, in the West Island, so we would go visit them here and there. And uh, we would go to, you know, all-you-can-eat buffets for the most part because his family didn't really cook. So <laughs> I don't have that, like, 
specific thing with my family. Uh, okay. Teffer's family, on the other hand, all fantastic cooks. So, uh, but that's that's the thing. We've only been together for like three, four years now. I'm kind of losing count. So I don't have a huge bank of of these kind of meals to pull from, right? But a thing that is consistent about family gatherings with Teffer's family is that there is always uh, the the kind of classic like Mediterranean pre dinner spread where there's all the sort of you know olives and nuts and and finger foods to kind of go to and uh that was something that when i was growing up that was what we did on special occasions you know if we were having a new year's eve party we'd have a whole spread with pickles and olives and everything Uh, oh that's fantastic yeah Uh, and so that's kind of (laughs) maybe that's maybe my answer to this is like little finger foods uh you know we would like wrap asparagus in ham that was the thing that I used to do when I was a kid and stick that on a Q-tip. Not a Q-tip. What am I saying? A toothpick. <laughs> a toothpick. <laughs> yeah. I get what you mean. See, that's great. And, yeah. and and here's the thing. I'm so sorry that you didn't have the big family experience, but most people don't. Right. Um, but here's the thing about big families that do big potlucks. They love it right. when people come. <laughs> they love bringing people in because they love serving food to people totally and honestly that was that was what got me through like any periods in my like youth I guess where I was feeling kind of uh, alone or isolated or whatever the periods where I felt the most like I had family were when I got invited to someone's house with a big family and they were doing this kind of thing and and the truth is you're always welcome you were always welcome and you always will be welcome people love to feed other people mm-hmm. especially if they have plenty you know yeah or even if they don't they just love it so yeah great so so let's yeah i can't wait until things open up so that i can have people over to my house for dinner yeah just that simple act oh it my was goodness. gonna be so amazing i just remembered i i did come to your place for a meal once yeah years ago i remember it being really good was it like I think a I'm, pasta dish, maybe? Yeah, I think I had a bunch of people over who were interested in musical improv. Or yeah, something, getting some group together, and I can't remember what I made. Did I make? Did I make? Did I make something with gravy? I think I might have made something with oh, gravy. Oh, maybe. Maybe turkey dinner, or is, I mean, it's some weird thing. I I made some big meal. Maybe it was pasta. I really wish I could remember now. I just had that that sudden flash of memory, you know. Okay. Yeah. I'll look. You know what? I have photos <laughs> of the table at that meal. I'll look it up. That's so funny, Tom. That's so crazy, I can't. I can't yeah. believe that you remembered that. It was such a. It was so in passing too. Yeah. Yeah. I just huh. got a wild. As we call it in Indiana. Get no. I got a wild hair. I got a wild hair. Invited a bunch of people over. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah. That was great. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So your favorite thing is is the the pre-dinner dinner dinner, i think so i think my favorite thing is you know all the sort of little snacky things that you eat while waiting for the actual food oh well here's what my my sister's husband's family does and we there's always there are always deviled eggs okay Mm. and sometimes people put out the deviled eggs uh with the meal but a lot of times the deviled eggs in our family will be the pre-dinner uh Surprise. Well, that makes sense. Um, you don't want to leave those too long. And I don't, I can't even tell you in my family who makes deviled eggs. It was like a, a ubiquitous thing. There were always <laughs> deviled eggs. And I don't know how you guys, do you guys make those here? Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
right. So at deviled eggs in Indiana, they have their you know the the middle is made with mayonnaise, yellow mustard, uh, pickle relish, or you pour pickle juice oh. into that mixture. Sure, yeah. And yeah, and always, always, always paprika on top. Yeah. I think the 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 middle being like you know the yolk whisked together with like mayonnaise mustard and then right. a hit of paprika I think is like pretty standard. Yeah, I haven't. I don't think I've heard the pickle juice thing before, but that sounds amazing. Yeah, the pickle juice. You know, it could be sweet pickle, it could be dill pickle. It's sure. a little secret. It's a little Indiana secret. I love that. Um, Pickles and, and here's mustard. Here's another. Oh, I know. Never fails. You can really. Yeah. I use pickle juice to make the dressing for potato salad. Yeah. Okay. Because dill dill goes really well with potatoes, it right? Does. So I use dill pickle juice in that little dressing. But here's what the guys used to do to show off, and also because it tastes delicious. Um, with the deviled eggs, they would make a well in the, top, in the top of the egg and fill it with Tabasco. Ooh. Yeah. It's really good. Okay. I'm into this. Really yeah. good. <laughs> okay. As soon as this pandemic is over, we're having a dinner party. <laughs> That's right. We can, you know, we can, I'll call up all the mid-century delights, you know, and I thank you for reminding me that that's what I said in mid-century delights because I'm looking at the list of menus and there are so many mid-century convenience foods that, that our families used, right? It was just this, the, that those were the times. Sure. Like my mom would make baked beans. Right. That was, and she made delicious baked beans, but here's her recipe. She would take uh, three different types of canned drained beans mm -hmm. and she would mix it with browned hamburger, mm -hmm. ketchup and mustard, cut up hot dogs, and Lipton's onion soup mix. Okay. Right? And bake that. It was delicious. That, that sounds incredible. <laughs> Pretty salty. Sure. Pretty, I mean, all of this stuff is stuff that you, I mean, you just don't, you don't make it every day, right? Right. Um, it was pretty salty and pretty delicious but using prepared foods now have you ever used lipton onion soup mix oh my goodness uh you know what i think i made a dip with it once that's right it's yeah. called california onion dip yes that sounds i think that is exactly the name of the recipe that i use that's it, it and it's a tub of sour cream mixed with this package of dried yeah. lipton onion soup mix yep it, it's it's so delicious it's so good <laughs> <laughs> I think I think people people often overlook like convenience foods. I, I say in air quotes, you know, pre oh. canned things, packaged things, but they're amazing. They make like there's a reason we call them convenient. They're convenient. They make things easy for you, but like oh. also they taste really good. And if you're not they if you're not someone who has time to cook, or if you're not someone who knows how to cook, honestly, there is really no reason to be ashamed of going and grabbing the prefab stuff throwing well, it together in it. a pot and making it work. That's it. And and especially after the Second World War, when all of that stuff was being developed and right. popularized, you know, women uh, were left at home with all the kids and a, and a house to take care of and all the cooking to do. And those convenience foods were sometimes a godsend. Yeah. Like, my mother had a set of cookbooks called the Mary Margaret McBride mm -hmm. Encyclopedia of Cooking. Uh, it was a 12-volume set. I think she had the first 10 volumes. Okay. Um, and she got them in the 1950s at the grocery store. If you bought a certain amount of groceries, you know, you could save up points and you get these free cookbooks. Amazing. And, yeah, one of the cookbooks has a, a chapter entitled Bean Bakes, hmm. okay? And all it's an entire chapter <laughs> of recipes that use canned pork and beans as the base. I love it. 
and uh, you know but it, and it's really interesting to see because some of the recipes were in these in this encyclopedia of cooking is are very traditional right. and then some of them use the newly introduced convenience foods right uh, in in really interesting ways I love that I think that they're like that that's kind of the the sort of message I guess that I'm taking away from this episode like this part and the first part is that like there is no such thing as good or bad food in terms of like the style or the preparation of it um you know the the ingredients as long as they're not rancid i think also there is no such thing as good or bad i mean obviously the fresher something is like there's going to be some benefit to it but at the end of the day like on a on a sort of like heart level there is nothing there's no such thing as good or bad food as long as it's prepared in a way that like shows that the person making it cares about it it's true and that you know that extends to food that takes five minutes too you can lovingly make something out of convenient things it's it's, food is love baby food is love that's it it's not lazy (laughs) (laughs) it's not lazy to do something easy that's fun but you know i mean i will say that by the time i left home you know i was beginning to wake up to the sort of the dangers of the um the standard american diet as it as it happened because the the use of convenience food foods really did spiral out of control and is now causing all kinds of health problems and we all know that sure um but you know back in the day and, and you know and i i couldn't wait to get away and try tofu right you know? and and yogurt we never tried yogurt at home i said tofu and yogurt what are you a weirdo and you know i'll do a vegan cleanse and and i'll do all that stuff now yes right. i'm i'm down with it but if somebody brings a ham at christmas I'm stuffing my face. Right. That's it. I, it's, American ham is so good. Yeah, that's it. Well, and everything <laughs> so is about good. balance, right? Like, yeah. yes, having way too much sodium in your diet can be bad for you. But, like, that doesn't mean you can't have way too much sodium in a meal here and there. Yeah. You know? Every once in a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, and, you know, so our family really was into the, it was, I mean, it was our tradition to, in mid century America to use all of these foods Um, but some people were super creative with them and took us out of our sort of out of our normal like my aunt Susie she would I mean she would do things like make a spinach strawberry blue cheese salad that had poppy seeds and walnuts and uh, a homemade salad dressing which is like that was our first foray into something different you know it was real food that oh man that sounds amazing hang on spinach strawberry blue yeah okay all right, I'm here for it. it. I know. And I mean, this was back in the 70s, right? Right. So uh, you know, it was our first foray into something exotic and wonderful. Um, you know, and she had gotten the recipe, I think, from someone at work. Right. You know, but she she also made she also made the, the early forays into food uh, like Velveeta chili dip. Oof. Velveeta chili dip, which we call dog food dip. And it's essentially just a block of Velveeta cheese. Yeah, it is. Mel- melted in a crock pot with a can of chili. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, <laughs> God, I cannot tell you. We, uh, we are running out of time and we're going to have to wrap up. But uh, I can't tell you how happy this conversation has made me and how oh. hungry this conversation has made me uh, and how much I love a good brick of Velveeta melted with stuff in it. Yeah. So I got a couple other things that I can talk about just to give people their due. Do you mind? Sure, go for it. Because I don't want to leave any of these special people out, like my Aunt Carol, who always made cucumbers and onions, and I'd love to give you that recipe too. That's another one Amy's hiding in a chest. 
Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's just sliced field cucumbers with sliced onions, and then you make a you make a dressing out of one cup of white vinegar, the kind you clean with, one cup of sugar, and a cup and a half of water. You heat it up, you pour it over the cucumbers and onions, and you let it sit in the fridge overnight. Oof, sounds amazing. So good. And then we had things like taco salad and lemon breeze, which was, you know, uh, instant pudding on a butter and flour crust, you know, with Cool Whip on top. Okay. And then the, the version that used chocolate pudding was called Better Than Robert Redford or Better Than Sex if you were really racy. Sure. And a chocolate pudding with nuts on top. Which, I mean, there were just so many great things. And, and my... My brother-in-law and sister always make homemade dinner rolls, and I mean, there are just so many. Uh, my family's so big; I just love to talk about all the fantastic things that everyone made. Yeah, well, you know, um, I think I'm gonna definitely have to get you back at some point for another episode about this because I think uh, we're just scratching the surface here. This has been fantastic. I'm really just feeling like I could talk to you about this for hours, and that's just not realistic today. <laughs> Well, I'm really grateful to you for asking me these questions and for asking me to think about this stuff because it's really given me just this wild appreciation for my family going all the way back uh, to when I was little. And, I, you know, I think I might decide to put together a cookbook. That's amazing. I'm, I'm so glad to have been able to help you, you know, to, to give you that nudge. That's awesome. That's great. And, yeah, and it just kind of, it's given me a really nice escape. Cool. From the pandemic and from the bloody election and from all the other stuff that's going on in the world to right. just think about gathering with my family and eating a meal. Absolutely. Ain't that what it's all about? Well, Laura, thank you so much. This is awesome. Well, Tom, thank you. And, and I hope you're doing well there in Montreal. Do you have anything you want to plug before we, uh, before we wrap up? Not just yet. Cool. Uh, maybe on the next episode. Sure. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to plug everybody cooking meals that make them feel happy yes love it okay all right laura take care good talking to you take care tom have a good night bye thanks again thank you so much for listening to up for discussion do you have a favorite buffet to go to i'd love to hear about it you can tell us about it on twitter and instagram at down with talking if you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better toby what do you do to my mic and me and you toby's here just so that you guys know he wants you to know if you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better you can head to patreon.com slash up for discussion to donate for as little as a dollar a month you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like patrick gabriel kendallin carlea thomas george poppy killian sarah angelica Anne, andrew laura kate erica and chantal our patrons get access to our discord server the ability to request topics for episodes of the show invites to exclusive zoom dinner parties and so much more that's patreon.com slash up for discussion we also have merch you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at t public and of course you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend toby can you say free 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 that's right for free our theme music is by Zach Ingalls, and our cover art is by David Flam. You can find links to support both of them in the description of this episode. Pink, that's right. A blue. A blue, uh-huh, yeah. And last but not least, this show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Toby, can you say bye-bye? Bye-bye. you understand. Just takes a little time, it takes a little time, it takes a little time with me. I hope you don't.
I'm Tefra Ajemian, the producer and host of the Yeah Podcast, a young adult lit review podcast focusing on amplifying the diverse voices in YA literature. Join us as we dig into the world of young adult books, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah Podcast, available through the Upward Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else. Can you say triangle? Triangle. Can you say buffet? Oh, yeah. Me and me. You? And me. You. Toby, what did we have for lunch today? Mm, a hug. A hug? Oh, sweetheart. Okay. All right. <clears throat>